want to pick up and um, God wants to prosper us in all areas. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, you were created to prosper. You were not created to lack. All right, here's where the heart of this came from. I was praying over the last couple days just over um, what God wanted to say, what he wanted to minister. And as I said that, we were not created to lack. Not created to lack. Think about that for a minute. If we could get that revelation, it would change the way that we live. I was not put on this earth to lack or want for any good thing. I was not put on this earth to be missing out on anything. And we can say all the time, I just, I wish I had peace. I wish I had joy. I wish I had direction. I just need some strength. I just need some wisdom. I just need, and we can fill in the blank. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a friendship. Maybe it's, we're just missing something. And I, I feel like I'm missing something. We were never created to live that way. That rocked my world when I thought of that, or, or when God revealed that. That we were never created to live lacking. We were only created to live to prosper. We were created to prosper. So that's the title. That's what we're going we're gonna to go through today. Um, prosperity, from a biblical standpoint, from how God created prosperity, is a result of commitment, dedication, and action to God's word. Commitment, dedication, and action. Meaning I have to do something. I have to step out and trust God. It might be scary. I don't know how to trust God. I don't know what God has for me. But I can step out and say, okay, I choose to trust you. I choose to grab hold of what you have for me. So it's commitment, dedication, and action. And this is my favorite part of this. Sometimes we think prosperity is like this end result, that God wants me to have a good life down the road. God wants me to have a good life when I get there. God wants me to have a good life eventually, when I'm holy enough, when I stop messing up. God wants me to have a good life. That's not the case. This is how God intended for us to prosper in life, is that there's not an end result, but it's an ongoing process and a progressing state of success and well-being that's not momentary or passing. God wants me to live prosperous today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day. There's not an end result. God isn't like, oh, you maxed out your prosperity for the week. That's not who God is, okay? God wants us to live prosperous in everything. He wants me to have a prosperous mind. He wants me to be able to, to be free from just the craziness of the thoughts that go on in my head. God wants me to be prosperous in relationships, prosperous in friendships. He wants me to be prosperous in my job. He wants me to be prosperous in what he's called me to do. He wants me to be prosperous in a marriage with kids. He wants me to be prosperous in finances. He wants me to be, he wants to bless me with things too. God wants us to have nice things. We don't serve a God that doesn't want us to have anything. But the thing about our God is he wants us to have things, but he doesn't want our things to have us. When we can put our trust and our um, security in a thing instead of God, that's when it becomes a problem. But as long as God is our source, as long as God is where our, our safety is, as long as God is where our security is and he's our source for life, he wants to bless us with things. He wants us to have good things. God isn't like, thank you for living for me. Just, I hope you're getting by okay. And sometimes that's our view of God. You know that commercial? Is it a Geico commercial? The guy has the fishing pole and he's like, oh, you gotta want it. That's how we think of God. Like, oh, you almost had it that time. Better luck next time. Reach out and grab it a little. You gotta be faster. That's how we feel like God is with our purpose, with our destiny, with answers like we're praying and he's dangling the fishing pole. Not, just kidding. Just, not today. Okay. That's what God's saying. That's not who he is. So we have to change our view of God to go, God's trying to pour things down on us. He wants us to have all that and some. God wants to bless us with more than enough. Nowhere in the Bible does he say that he's going to give us just enough of anything. 
It always says running over. It always says more than that. It always says stuff to give to other people. There is more than enough of everything that God wants to give us. It's never just enough. And so I refuse to live less than what God created me to live. And so the first place I'd like to go is Genesis 2-7. Man, first service could have been a little bit sleepier, but they were a lot louder. Okay, let's go with Genesis 2-7. All right, there we go. All right, we were created to prosper. And when I was studying, I thought if I was created to prosper, I want to go back to creation and find out how God intended for life to be. Because we know with how God created the world, that's how he created it and intended it to be. And now that Jesus has came and he died, I have access to live the way that he created us to live. See, we don't serve a God that wants us to enjoy, enjoy him in heaven and like suffer the whole time on earth. We serve a God that wants us to live heaven here. That's the kind of God we serve. And so in 2-7, it says, And the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man in whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also, life, not lice, life, <laughs> was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay. First point I want to make, was Adam in the garden first or was the garden there first? The garden, right? The garden was created first. It wasn't Adam. It was the garden. It was already prepared for him beforehand. Okay, keep your place in Genesis and let's flip over to Ephesians 2.10. And that says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared when? Beforehand, that we should walk in them. Two parts in this. One, God created it beforehand, prepared it beforehand. And two, we should walk in them, meaning we have the choice, right? So just because God has predestined and predesigned and already set up a prosperous life for us, doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to walk in it unless we choose. It says we should walk in it. But we have the choice. See, God doesn't want a bunch of robots. That's not fun. God wants people that want a relationship with him. God wants people that desire a relationship with him, that want to team up with him. He wants friendship. He wants relationship. He doesn't want a robot. And so he created us with free will. He created us with the power to choose. And so it says that in 210 there, it says that we should walk that out. But he's prepared it beforehand. And we see that same thing here in Genesis, that the garden was there beforehand. Everything Adam ever needed for life was already established before God put him there. Now let's be Adam for a minute. Because God's the same with us. Everything we could ever need for life was already put there beforehand, before God put us there. It's already there. Adam didn't get to the garden and be like, God, you forgot. He got there and I'm sure the entire time he was in the garden, I bet he didn't. I'd never, I, I mean, I kind of have a hard time believing that he ran out of discovering things that God put there. Think about it. How many things were in that garden? Adam, Adam never ran out of being like every day. He was probably like, holy cow, would you look at that? Hey, check this out. God, you made this too? Every day, 
There's something new to discover. And every time he discovered, he learned something new about his God that he had put there to supply for him. Adam didn't have to lack for anything. Adam probably didn't know what the word lack even meant. And it probably didn't exist because everything was provided for him. Okay, church, this is how God designed us to live. This is how God created us to live. The word lack should not be in our vocabulary. God has created and predestined a life for us that we should not lack or want for any good thing, that he has given us everything that we need for life and godliness, that God has already put us there. Now we have the choice to walk in that or we have the choice to do our own thing and we're gonna see how that works here in a minute. But God has already predestined that, that there's no lack, that every single day in my life, I find out a new wonder that God put there that I didn't know was there yesterday. And because I see that, I now see something new about my God and some new way that he looks at me that I see God based on, holy cow, he's provided everything. I need nothing. I work in children's ministry. Okay, how many of you guys have ever heard a kid say, I need candy? Okay, do they need the candy? Uh, arguable. Okay, I had to go put down some like Rice Krispie treats between services because I stayed up all night praying and, and preparing and such and drank a lot of coffee and forgot to eat breakfast. And so I got here and was like, I'm going to pass out in first service, like drizzle some ice cream in my mouth. So I ate like four Rice Krispies between services. So I'm good to go now. So I needed me some candy. Okay, <laughs> we're good. But the little kids tell me all the time, Miss Shelby, I need candy. Like, do you need candy or do you need celery? Like what, what really needs to happen here? Sometimes that's how we are with God. God, I need this. Why? Because we've tasted it and we know it's good or because I know my, li my life would be better. It would make me feel better. It would make me be more accepted around people. Maybe it would set me up a little bit more financially. God, I need this thing. Do we actually need it? Because here's the thing. I didn't create me. God created me. So I don't know what I need. God knows what I need. Because God knows the beginning from the end. He knows what my purpose is. He knows what my destiny is. And so he's going to give me everything I need for that. So when I feel like I'm needing something, I have to wonder if I'm standing at a place of lack outside of where God wants to take me. Because if I'm standing where God wants me to be, I don't have a need for things because God's given me everything that I need. Okay, we're going to keep um, reading on here. Let's skip over to 2.15. It says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, of Eden to tend and to keep it. Okay, so again, we're Adam. God put us in this life that he has already established beforehand. Okay, God has put this, he's set this up for us. He's, way, he's like, all right, here's the life I've created for you. But he tells Adam that he's gonna tend it and he's gonna keep it. Okay, that tells me that even though God put me in this life, I gotta take care of it. I gotta tend to, I gotta keep it, I gotta steward, and I gotta guard the life that God has given me. But God wouldn't ask me to do something that he didn't already empower me to do. So God wouldn't ask me to keep and steward and take care of the life that he's given me if he didn't empower me to do it, and he wasn't gonna be there the whole time helping me do it the way he designed. See, God's not a control freak, but he wants us blessed. And the only way for us to be the most fulfilled in life is to be walking right where he wants us to walk. We can never be more fulfilled than when we're doing what God called us to do. We are never more fulfilled than where we're at when, when we're in the place that God has us or God wants us. We can never be more fulfilled anywhere else. I can never be more fulfilled doing something or getting something if every single one of my prayers happened to be answered. Thank goodness they're not, anybody? <laughs> right? Okay. If every one of my prayers happened to be answered and something that I think that I need based on how I feel, based on what I've been through, based on what has happened, 
if every one of those was answered and I had all of those things, it would never be more fulfilling than when I have what God has for me, ever. I can never be more fulfilled. And that's a scary thought because too many times we go, I, I don't know that I want what God has for me because I don't know what I'm gonna have to give up. I don't, I don't know what I'm gonna have to do without. I don't know what that's gonna look like. Because I feel like if I, if I do what God wants, I'm gonna have to give up a part of me that I don't wanna give up. Okay, here's the thing. We're not giving up anything. And that's what I want to change today, that we serve a good God that wants us blessed. He wants to give us more than enough. He wants to fulfill us in a way that we do not lack. I want to live a life that I can say, I don't lack. God has always provided exactly what I need when I need it in his timing. And it has affected everybody else around me too, because God doesn't just worry about Shelby. He worries about everybody that's in Shelby's life. And that's the kind of God we serve. But we're, we're afraid to go, I, I want that life. I want to surrender to what God has. So we got to tend to and we got to keep the life that God has given us. And the Lord God commanded man saying of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, it. oh, we're going to stop in 17. Every tree you may freely eat. Except for one. Okay, only two specific trees were even mentioned in here. The rest of them, I mean, it said that there were other trees and other plants, but two trees were mentioned. One was the tree of life. One was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, one was to be avoided to the point that you don't even touch it. So the other one, I wonder if it was equally important to touch. So we have the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And here's what those represent. One of them represents the tree of, of, or the life of God. One of them represents the life of man. Okay. One is the life of God. The other is the life of man. Okay. We don't have physical trees to choose from today, but we are created with a flesh and a spirit man, both living on the inside of us. And in Galatians, it says that do not walk according to the flesh um, but according to the spirit. And then it says that the, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the, fear, uh, the spirit against the flesh and they're contrary to one another. Okay, so these are opposing factors. One of man, one of God. So we have the same choice and the same setup as Adam and Eve did in our lives. We have the same choice. Okay, we could be pulling from a source of a tree of life or we could be pulling from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, that's the difference in this scenario. But we have the same thing living on the inside of us. We have the exact same choice on the inside of us. Okay, again, all goodness prepared ahead of time. But we have to choose. Again, God doesn't want us to live a life separated from him, but he also doesn't want us to be a robot. He wants us to choose him. Because our prosper, walking prosperity, Adam and Eve living prosperous in the garden, the prosperity of God only goes as far as our faithfulness to God. And we see that with Eve here in a second. So if we could flip down to, um, well, first I want to read First uh, Corinthians 2.9. And then keep your place there again. But I want us to grab hold as a foundation that God is not out to take things away. God is out to give us a life beyond what we can imagine. And the goodness of our God, because sometimes God's based on our circumstances. God's based on past experience. God's based on things we've seen gone wrong. 
God's been based on so many different things that we forget just who God is and we forget the goodness of God. But in 2.9, it says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. I could never imagine, I could never see, I have never heard of, I could never dream of a life like God has for me, ever. Now we get comfortable in things that we enjoy doing and, and comfortable in the way the world does things. But see, God has something so much better for us. God has so much, some, something so much greater. So I can't even imagine the life that God has. So now let's turn the page and let's read Genesis 3. And it says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate it. She also gave her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. In the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Okay, a couple things I want to point out here. Just a few scriptures earlier, it says that Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were naked and unashamed. Okay? Do we find it interesting that when she touched a tree that God said not to touch, suddenly there was a lack that there was never meant to be? Couple or a couple scriptures earlier, the fact that they were naked meant nothing. It wasn't a lack. It wasn't a problem. But as soon as she reached out and she touched that thing that God said not to touch, suddenly there was a lack that there was never created to be. For the first time, she felt like she was missing something. For the first time, there was shame, there was guilt. For the first time, this set in, and it wasn't a problem a few scriptures earlier. And so now, now she's got to fix the problem. So now her and Adam are sewing fig leaves together to cover up this lack, to make up for this lack in their lives. Well, then I had to ask myself, where do I feel like I'm lacking in my life? Did I touch something that God didn't want me to touch? Did I step out of something that God had already predestined for me to do? And now I'm trying to cover it. And now I touch that thing and there's a lack in my life that there was never supposed to be. And now I'm trying to take care of it. Maybe I saw a need for a relationship. Maybe I saw a need for a marriage. Maybe I saw a need for a job and I, I stepped out and I grabbed that thing. And now there's a lack in my life that there was never meant to be because I touched something God told me not to touch and it was never intended to be. Is that where our lack comes from? Because I wasn't created to lack. So I feel like I'm lacking. I wasn't created to be this way. So what did I touch? What did I decide that I needed? What did I decide to do? So this tree of knowledge of good and evil... I was, I just study out, what does this tree even mean? And this tree is, it's pulling from a source outside of God. It's acting independent or pursuing good on our own. 
It's seeking knowledge that God has not granted. Progress on our own instead of trusting God. See, we think sin is all this big bad stuff that we can do that's absolutely wrong. Sin is doing anything apart from God. Anything outside of God. That's the definition of sin. It could be a good thing. I think this is a good thing that I'm doing. I think this is a good move that I'm making. I think this is a good relationship. I think this is a good friendship. I think this is a good move for our family. I think this is a good um, job that I'm gonna do. It could be a good thing. But just because it's a good thing doesn't make it a God thing. And when it's a good thing and it's apart from God, then it separates us from God. Anything apart from God separates us from God. It could be when it's, when it's, we're seeking knowledge that God hasn't granted. Maybe I've been praying for something. I've been praying for understanding. I've been praying. And because I haven't got the answer from God, I'm going to pursue it on my own. But then again, I didn't get the answer from God. I got it on my own. And if I can do it on my own, I don't need God. And if I can do it on my own, it wasn't God. Because I chose to follow this answer outside of where God is. Maybe I'm just sick of waiting on God. And so I had to go do it on my own instead of trusting God. Maybe I don't understand what's going on and because I can't understand what God's asking me to do and because I don't understand why all this stuff has happened in my life, I choose to take things into my own hands. And see, what's happening is God's not saying that he wants to control us. What God's showing us here is he's going, you don't understand what you're doing. When you choose to do something apart from me, I can't protect you. And you put a lack in your life that I would never meant to have. And you were always supposed to be fulfilled. And now there's lack. And now there's something missing in your life because you didn't trust me to the fullness over here. I already had it taken care of. And now we have a lack that we weren't supposed to have. That's what God's showing us here with Eve. And then he says, who told you that you were naked? Who told you? If I'm lacking something, who's telling me that I'm lacking it? Is the world telling me? Is my past telling me? Are old friends telling me that I'm missing something? Is it because this is what success is supposed to look like? This is what this area of life is supposed to look like? Who told me that I was lacking something? Was it me? Because we don't even serve a God that tells us that he's, we're lacking something. We're not, we, we weren't created to lack. We're not created to lack, we're created to prosper. And so he says, who told you, Adam? Who told you that you were lacking? Because I didn't create you to lack. So you had to touch that thing that I told you not to touch. You had to touch that thing that was apart from me. It wasn't that the tree was bad. It was that God said, that separates you from me. Don't touch it. That you would be doing in your own strength. Don't do it. And he, they did it anyway. And see, Satan isn't stupid when he tempts us. He's not going to be like something crazy overboard that we would never do with our lives. He's not going to tempt us with something psycho. He's going to tempt us with a good thing instead of a God thing. You see how he tempted Eve? He used God's almost exact words, but the key word is almost. Do we know the difference between almost God and God? The other thing that had to happen for Eve to touch that tree is that all they knew at that point is they knew God's voice and they knew God. So they knew God's word and they knew God. Correct? Everybody's on the same page here? It's very important to get before we go forward. They knew God and they knew God's voice, which means they knew God's word, correct? So if they knew that, she knew that, 
then in order for her to touch that tree, she had to compromise what God said. She had to compromise God's word. She had to compromise who God said he was to her in order to touch that tree and want it apart from him. There had to be a compromise. When Satan's trying to get us to do something, when we're being tempted, or when we want to do something in our own strength, if we have to compromise God's word or who he is, it's not God. But she had to compromise it in order to touch that tree, and because she compromised it, it separated them from God. God created us to prosper. He did not create us to lack. And he created the same Eden set up for us that we have the choice to function with God or we have the function to function independently from God. But it separates us. And the other thing that this story tells us is that we can live the created life or we can live the creator's life. The created life is, is God put all this stuff in the garden. God created our life for us. God created it. Why not enjoy it, right? So I can live my life with everything that God created, how I want to do it. What friendships I want, what relationships I want, what job I want, how I want to spend my money, how I want to spend my time, how I want to treat anybody. I'm using what God created and I'm doing it based on how I feel, based on how I see, based on my past, based on how I was raised, based on all of these things. And I'm living the created life, but am I living the creator's life? Because the created life, I'm dependent on myself and how I feel and what I think. The creator's life, I'm dependent solely on God. So there's two differences in how they could live in the garden. We can live in our garden based on how we want to use what God gave us and be self-dependent, or we can live in our garden and use the things how God intended them to be used and not lack. See, when I'm living my way, when I'm living the created life, then it's just based on how I feel. And I'm going to use things and I'm going to do things and I'm never going to be fulfilled because I was never using something how God intended it to be used. But when I live the creator's life, I take my dependency off of me. I take it off of how I feel. I take it off of how I see. I take it out of how I was raised. I take it out of everything and say, I choose to depend on God. And so I was, as I was studying all of this, I said, okay, God, I understand that you want us to prosper. I understand that you created us to live a prosperous life. I understand that you created us. How do we do that though? I don't want to be a church that knows you want us prosperous and not one of us ever prospers and all of us continue to live in lack. I don't want to serve a God that wants to tell me how to prosper but never lets me prosper. And so how do we do this? And it goes back to what I just said about Adam and Eve. They knew God's voice and they knew him and they knew his word. And when I prayed that out, I said, God, how? How do you want us to live? How am I supposed to live a prosperous life? And he said, my people don't know me. My people don't know me. And I was like, well, what does that even mean? I don't guess I get that. My people don't know me. They seek me for what they need, which is out of lack. They seek me for what they want. They seek me when they need me, when things get hard. They seek me for direction. They seek me for guidance. They do all those things. But they don't just want to know me. The purpose that I created people was for relationship. The purpose that I created creation, all of us, Adam and Eve, the garden, the purpose was creation because there, or was relationship because there wasn't lack to begin with. So then I look and I go, I wonder what it would have been like to be in the garden with Adam and Eve. Because if I would put myself in the garden, I mean, I would love to have a relationship with God because then I could ask him every day, all day, what I needed to know, when I needed to know it and what I need. And we just have this great conversation all day long. But if I didn't need anything, 
What would a relationship with God be like? I would just get to know God. What would that even look like? That blows my mind because I'm like, wow, hmm, kind of convicted that probably most of my prayers are out of God, I need direction. God, I need you to show up in this area. God, show me what to do here. God, show me what to do. And that's all good and great. And God wants to reveal that stuff for us because he wants to be in a relationship with us. But at the same time, God just wants to know us. Because when we know God and we trust God and we get to know God, then we know how he created us to be. And then we can walk in the fullness that he created us to live. But we can't do that outside of knowing him. And he said, my people don't know me. So I want to read uh, 2 Peter 1.3. And it says, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, who by have given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped corruption of the, that is in the world through lust. God's given us everything we need for life and godliness. When I said he wants us to prosper us in all areas of life, there is proof right there. Everything that we need for this life and everything that we need for godliness, he has already given us. But it says, through the knowledge of him who called us. Through knowing him. So then my next question, of course, is, okay, well then how do we know you? How do we build our lives in a way that we truly know you? And, and I read in John, and it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so you know me by knowing my word. Not just the answers to things. There's plenty of answers in here, but who is God in here? Who is God? That we know his word, that we, that we press into his word, that time in the word is so important. And that is why Satan attacks our time in the word so much. Because he knows if we know the word, then we know God. And when we know God, we trust God. And when we trust God, we're gonna walk in anything he asks us to do. And if we don't know him, then we don't trust him. And then we'll never step into what he has for us. Until I trust God, I'll never walk and never, never see the goodness that he has for me ever. And so we see this and we say, okay, I want to know God. I want to know what his word says. I want to press into the word. And so I want to read over in uh, Psalm 1-1 and just look at the importance of the word in my life. This rocked my world. As I was studying the last couple of days, it was life-changing for me. So that was my prayer for you as well, that it'd be life-changing. But Psalm 1-1, and we're going to look at the importance of the word. And it says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in this law, which is the word of God, okay, so that's the word. And in the, this law, he meditates. And in the Amplified, it says, habitually meditates day and night, that he shall be like a tree firmly planted by the rivers of the water. And in the Amplified, it says, planted and fed by the rivers of the water. Um, that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Whatever he does. So because I choose to habitually abide in the word of God and know my God, I'm like a tree that's planted by the water who doesn't lack, who prospers in everything that I do. Everything. Because we decide that we are gonna 
be in the word because we decide that we choose to live a prosperous life and we choose not to live a life that lacks. And so we're going to abide in the word. And because we abide in the word that we're like a tree planted by the water. Okay, and then read over, let's look at uh, Jeremiah 17. We'll start in verse seven. And it says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. So a tree again, because we trust God, we're like a tree planted by the water. So I'm thinking about this and I'm like, okay, if God's going to relate me to a tree, I kind of want to know what a tree is supposed to be. That would be important information because I'm just like, I don't want to walk around like a tree. So I want to know what a tree is. So I started studying out a tree in general. Trees are known as standing water. A tree, the trees that we see outside, scientifically, they are known to be standing water. Because for every 100 molecules that makes up the tree, 99 of them are water molecules. So I was like, all right, and the water represents the word. I represent the tree. So can I say that I'm the standing word of God? Can I say that that's 99% of what makes me up? That what comes out of my mouth, that runs through my mind, what I speak out, what I do in life, am I 99% the walking word of God? Because a tree, that's what it is, is water. It's standing water. And we know that there's the living word of God and that we can be the living word of God. So I'm like, okay, well, how does a tree even get that way? And when a tree has consistent water, the roots are strong and thick that stabilize. They're not short, weak ones. When there's interspurtant water and it's not consistent, then they get short, weak roots instead of the strong, firm roots. So I'm like, okay, good to know. Anytime a tree goes without water, it is susceptible to disease and insect infestation that eat it from the inside out. Anytime it goes without water. So then I relate that back to the holy factor over here. And I go, okay, anytime I go without the word, I've opened myself up to disease and insect infestation. Not literally, that's creepy, okay? <laughs> but I open myself up to the word, and, and when, I, when I choose and I don't have the word, then I'm immediately susceptible to the attack of the enemy. I'm immediately susceptible to be tempted like Eve was. I'm immediately susceptible to touch something God said not to touch because it looks good. But I have removed myself from God's voice and I've removed myself from knowing God today. And so now I'm going to look for a good thing instead of a God thing because I've removed myself from the ability to know the difference. Because I didn't have the word. The importance of the word in our life. And this is the other thing that it was pretty interesting on that is that because it eats it from the inside out, you don't know it's been infected until it's already dead. 
The tree will be dead before you know it's even been infected. And I go, I don't want my spiritual life to already be dead. I don't want my relationship with God to already be dead because I chose not to spend time in the word because I chose not to know him. I removed myself from the prosperous life that he created me to live. And I've stepped into the lacking life and now I'm chasing things. And before I know it, my spiritual life and my relationship with God is already dead. And I open the door because I chose not to be in the word. Because that's that source of life. When they choose in the, between the trees, you got to eat every day. So they're going to choose from one tree or the other. I got to eat every day, just like my physical body has to stay alive. Then my spiritual body has to stay alive. And so I got to feed my spirit man every day. And am I going to feed it with the flesh or, or am I going to feed my flesh or am I going to feed my spirit man? Am I going to feed it with the life of God or am I going to feed it with the lack of the world? That's the choice I have every single day. And I don't want to open myself up to be infected with the enemy and the lies of the enemy that would separate me from God's, what God's goodness is. God isn't like, read the Bible every day or you're going to go to hell. That's not God. He's saying, I want you to prosper and I want what's best for your life. And the only way to do that is if you're in my word, because then you can know me. And when you know me, you know you. God has all good in mind for us. He's not a bad God. He's not out to get us, but he has this good thing in store, but we have to make the choice to get, make him the source. We have to make the choice. Anytime that we make something else our source outside of God, we settle. Anytime. Because the fullness of God is only in God. And if he's our source, then he gives us everything we need. He gives us more than enough. He gives us where we are not lacking. But anytime that I choose a good thing over a God thing, I have to settle. So my choice is I can settle for what I want and I can settle for what satisfies me in this time. I can settle for what I see. I can settle for how I feel or I can submit to what God has and walk in his fullness. That's our choice. And the last thing about these trees is that trees with consistent water, when a storm comes, when hard times come, when stuff that, that we don't know, you know, why is this happening? The trees that have consistently been plugged into a water source, their roots get thickened and the roots get deeper because they've consistently had a water source. They, they don't get uprooted. They don't get tossed around. When everything starts going wrong, when all hell breaks loose in our lives, we aren't uprooted because we've had a consistent source of water. So we go, even in the times that we think we should be lacking, even in the times that the world looks at us and goes, how are you even walking through this? I'm not lacking anything. Yeah, a hard time's gonna come. Yeah, bad things are gonna happen. We live in a fallen world, but I'm the one that can be able to stand and not move and be immovable because of who my God is. I can stand because I'm plugged into a source that is life. I can stand because even in the hard times, God still created me to prosper. He didn't create me to lack. And so even in the hard times, even in the bad times, I don't look and go, God, I'm missing this. God, I'm lacking this. In the hard times, I can say, well, I don't like nothing. God's here. Bad things happen, hard times come. But see, the thing about a prosperous life is God doesn't remove us from the bad things. He gives us the ability to walk through them. Anybody can walk around them. It'd be easy to be removed. I could get out of jail free card. God goes, no, I wanna be God even in the bad times. I wanna be God in your life even when things are going wrong. And I need you to trust me that I'm gonna be there. I need you to trust me that when things are going wrong, I'm still gonna be there because you've made me your source. You're not lacking anything when you have me. You live a needless life when you have God and when he's your source. And the, those, those trees, it said that it, it will not cease from yielding fruit. And we know that a tree is known by its fruit. You don't have to dig to the middle of the tree to see if it has a good heart or a bad heart. If the fruit is rotten, the tree's rotten. 
And so when we're looking at our lives, what fruit am I producing? Is it good or is it rotten? Is it good or is it rotten? But here's the, the, the quote when we're plugged into that water source. Here's what I wrote down. Our fruit shouldn't change be, and be dependent upon which season we are in. It's dependent on our source. What changed for Adam and Eve is that they changed their source. That's when they begin to lack. The fruit in my life, whether it's good fruit or bad fruit, isn't whether or not I'm going through a good season or a bad season. It's not whether or not I'm going through a hard time or a good time. My fruit is dependent on God and my fruit is dependent on my source and that's where my life comes from. And so it's not dependent on what I'm going through. When I'm going through something bad, when I'm going through something good, the fruit stays the same because I'm, I'm, I'm pulling from the same source. When I pull from a different source, my fruit will change. And so let's look at Matthew 16, 24. This will be the last scripture. Just kidding, I have one more besides that. Just kidding. All right. In 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come and in the glory of his Father with angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. Okay, here's the thing. You hear all the time in church, and you hear all the time from when you're little, you know, if you're going to follow God, you got to give up everything. If you're going to follow God, it's going to cost you everything. Okay, that sounds terrible. I, I mean, that is not, nobody wants to do that. Like, let's just die. <laughs> At least we'd go to heaven. Like, let's give up everything. That's not what this is saying. Okay, does it cost us everything? Absolutely. But here's the opposite side of that that we forget to explain. Okay, when I live my life for God, I, it may cost me everything temporal to gain everything eternal. When I live my life from the world, it costs me everything eternal to have something temporal. So it costs me everything either way. It doesn't cost me one, it doesn't just cost me to live for Christ and not cost me to live for the world. I mean, then everybody would be economical. It would make sense, okay? It costs us both ways. If I choose to live for God, it's gonna cost me the temporal satisfactions that I think I need to fulfill my life to gain the true fullness that God created me to live in. I'll never have more fulfillment than when I'm over here. But when I choose to live for the world, then I give up the eternal um, things that God has for me and I gain the temporal things. So yeah, I'm temporarily happy over and over and over and over and over again. And I'm also temporarily sad and I'm also temporarily lacking and I'm also running around in circles and I feel like I can't keep up and I'm frustrated and I don't understand. And I feel like I'm playing tag with God and everything else in my life because I gave up everything that matters eternally to gain everything for a temporal thing. I run from thing to thing to thing and wonder why I can never be satisfied. But when we live and we grab hold of the fullness of God, then I'm grabbing hold of everything eternal, everything that I can see differently. I can see people differently. I can see my purpose differently. I can see what God has in store for Shelby differently because I don't need a temporal satisfaction to make me happy because I already have an eternal satisfaction that makes me happy. I can have joy when things are going wrong. I can have peace when things are going wrong. I can have comfort and I don't need to look like the rest of the world because I'm not, I have a God that isn't going to respond like the rest of the world. The world can never give me what God can give me. I don't have to please people. I'm more concerned about pleasing God than I am pleasing people because people aren't God and they can't ever give me what God can. They didn't create me. I didn't create me. God created me. And that's how we live life.
and we live life in the fullness of who God has called us to be. So when it says that we take up our cross daily, here's my question. If we have a tree of life in the garden, we have a tree that Jesus died on that gives us eternal life. And so when we take up our cross daily, we are daily saying, I will pick up that source of life that you died on so that I can walk in the fullness of what you died on the cross. See, the cross wasn't just to take our sins away and the cross wasn't just to take us to heaven. That cross is what guaranteed us prospering here on earth today. The cross is what restored Eden to our lives that was established in Genesis. That's what the cross did. And so when we grab hold of the fullness of what the cross actually did for us, of course we're going to pick it up because why would I want anything the world has to offer me when God already gave me everything? And so of course I'm going to pick it up daily. I don't care if it costs me the temporal things. That's what this verse is talking about. And so yeah, it does cost everything, but the gain of even more. I would rather gain what God has for me and lose what the world has any day than ever lose the eternal things that God has for me. Because that changes eternity. That changes uh, generations down the line. But we can grab hold of the fullness no matter what the cost is. I have one more scripture I want to read. It's in Philippians 3. And in closing, this will be the last one. I promise is the last one this time. Philippians 3, 7. Okay, so this is the Apostle Paul. And we know the Apostle Paul used to persecute Christians. He used to be the guy killing them. We know the Apostle Paul had, had history with Pharisees and, and being the, the higher up know-it-all kind of person um, that didn't live for God, but knew everything about God. And so we knew that Paul had a history in those areas. Okay, then he, his life's turned around. His name goes from Saul. Now he's Paul. And now he's living his life for God. Okay, and here's what he says. In verse seven, he says, but what things were gained to me, these things I have counted lost for Christ. Yet I indeed, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Okay, if you look up the, re, the, the word rubbish and what that actually means, it basically, in summary, means that he counts them as a dog's chew toy. That's what I count the things. He goes, all the things that I thought were a gain to me in my life, all the things that the world had to offer me, all these things that I thought I had accomplished and were a big deal in my life, they're nothing more than a chew toy for a dog. They mean nothing. But here's the important part that I love. Yet indeed, I count all things as lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus. Okay, he didn't say, so I can get what Jesus has for me, I give all this up. He didn't say, I'll, I'll miss out on what the world has so, I can, so God can bless me with all these things. All he said was that I want to know Jesus. I want to know my God, which is what we had just talked about. That he wasn't asking, when he wrote this, he was sitting in prison. He wasn't asking from prison going, you know, I'll give all this up, God, if you get me out. I'll give all this up, you know, if, you, you, if I know I'm gonna get out of here. But no, he's sitting in prison going, <laughs> everything in life, there is nothing that matters more than just knowing my Jesus. It's not about what he can give me because Paul walked in and found out the fullness of who God is and the fullness of who he created him to be. And that's my prayer for us today. That's my prayer for us as we go forward is that we're a church that knows God. It's not about what God can give us. He already gave us everything he can. We have to surrender to walk in it. There's nothing Adam could have asked for that wasn't already supplied for him. There's nothing we can ask for that isn't already applied for us.